And we are live this morning at the Conversations That Matter podcast. It's a wonderful day where I am. It's cloudy, but it is unusually warm for this time of year in upstate New York. It's actually going to get, I think, into the upper 70s, if I'm not mistaken, today, which uh, is, is very rare since I think the high yesterday was in the 50s. So I'm looking forward to going out a little bit later. And uh, some of you might have been intimidated or not intimidated, but just concerned. <laughs> you looked at the title of this video and you thought, man, I don't know if I can take any more negative news. So I want to encourage you a little bit at the outset of this particular podcast, let you know that I have some more encouraging things to share with you later in this week. But for today, um, I also wanted to share with you some updates that hopefully for those who support the podcast and listen regularly, you'll find this encouraging. Uh, I know there's a number of projects that I have been involved in that I've talked to you about. Uh, the 1607 project, the China documentary, we are still fooling around with the word for that. We're not sure what we're going to call it exactly. It's it's really not on China. It's on the Communist Party in China. But uh, that project, uh, I've talked about the TGC alternative and um, uh, and also writing a book. There's a number of things I'm doing, aren't there? Um, I want to give you an update on a few of these, though. So uh, first thing is I did have someone unexpectedly uh, give me uh, the funds that will be needed to complete the China or the Communist Party documentary. And so uh, that is an answer to prayer. I appreciate uh, that generosity, but um, I appreciate those of you out there who also are supporting my efforts, even those who give on Patreon, some of that. Uh, I end up subsidizing most of these projects myself anyway, and so um, so it goes towards some of that. And so I'm looking forward to getting that done. Uh, probably, I would think it would probably be late summer, early fall by the time we'd be done with that, if I'm not mistaken. It depends what kind of things we encounter and how extensive we want to make this. But we have enough to really, I think, make a really good documentary. And uh, the 1607 project is almost done. Like as far as the filming, we, we still have to edit. And that's the hard part. I actually worked am working right now with someone who's composing soundtrack stuff, uh, which is fun. I actually most people don't know this, but I'm a music guy. I love music. And I'm actually the minister of music at my church right now. And uh, I just love fooling around on my guitar. So I have a, a tune that I that was just catchy in my head. I don't know where these tunes come from sometimes, but I sent it to someone who's really good on, I guess, MIDI. I don't know what he uses, but he, he's just really good. He has top-notch equipment to make something sound orchestrated. And I just sent him my melody and he sent something back. And I said, that's the soundtrack. So uh, working on that. Uh, and the, the TGC alternative, that's what I've been calling it, has a name now. It's Truth Script. We're going to call it Truth Script. We debated for days about names, and it's very difficult because a lot of URLs are already taken, and we wanted a URL that wasn't. And so truthscript.com was not taken. We've uh, purchased that. We filed for 501c3 status. Uh, we have uh, the board members, the sec the officers that we need are already all in place. Uh, and I've already contacted a few of the potential writers. And so that should be coming soon. I don't know when we're going to get approval for the 501c3. Once we do, I will have opportunities to donate to that uh, for those who are interested in that. Um, also, uh, some dates uh, that uh, are coming up. I'll, I don't know if I should share all of this now, but there's, there's going to be a, a few places uh, to see me. I'm going to be speaking at a few different places. And... Um, uh, one is in, I'll just give you some dates just to clear your calendar in case you're interested. Uh, I'm going to be at a conference 
in June, June uh, 10th, I believe it is, uh, I'm going to be in Wisconsin. And then uh, the retreat, actually the fall retreat, the men's retreat, uh, the dates have been blocked off for that. And it's not going to just be Friday through Sunday, which it was last year. It's also going to have the option. You, there's two tracks. You can do Friday through Sunday, but you can also come Thursday and hear some additional speakers and spend some more time in the Adirondacks. And it that will be uh, the weekend of September 24th. And so uh, that's already all set. And I'm just waiting on building the website. I'm going to do it more streamlined this year and it'll be easier for those who had to send checks in. We I don't want to do that. So uh, that's all coming together. And uh, you could pray that we'll be able to get some good speakers that will say the right things and encourage the men who come. And uh, it's going to be a wonderful time. So a lot of things going on. I've got a lot of irons in the fire and I am always mindful and thankful for your support, your help. Uh, we need to build alternatives. And part of my efforts have been to encourage others who are doing that and also myself to provide some alternative places to go. That's why we did uh, discerningchristians.com. And you, you can go to that and find a church potentially that's not going to be on the woke train in your area. And you can donate when you when you go there. I mean, it was a friend of mine who helped develop this, but uh, I advertised it. I helped craft a statement of faith. I'm, I'm, I'm using whatever resources God has given me to encourage those who I think are uh, coming up with solutions to the problems we face. So I want to emphasize that before we get into some of the problems, if that's okay. Uh, just a reminder, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating it on iTunes, uh, giving that like on YouTube. I don't know what else you do. I'm the worst at, at this kind of thing. I don't even know. What do you, what do you do? I guess leave a comment that helps the algorithm. Um, I, we appreciate, uh, I guess I appreciate everyone who contributes in those ways as well. Um, let's get into the topic today a little bit. Um, I'm trying to debate how I want to start this. Yesterday's podcast, the one I put out there, I think yesterday afternoon or last night was discouraging for those, some of those people who want to stay in the SBC, the Southern Baptist convention and fight for the heart of the denomination. And I've discussed this before, so I don't want to repeat everything I've said before, but there's a few things that I want to remind everyone about, and that is that, first, I understand, and I think it's totally normal to feel a sense of brokenness, uh, anger, mixed emotions about what's happening to your denomination if you are a Southern Baptist. I think if you grew up especially in the denomination, mixed with the understanding that there are five seminaries, or six, five, I think, uh, that are officially affiliated with the denomination, many others that are not, but uh, that are, un no, I don't know how, indirectly affiliated. So there's five directly affiliated seminaries. You know that people outside of the convention get educated at those seminaries. You know that there's a lot of influence there. There's a lot of money that the North American Mission Board has to send missionaries all over the world. You, you're aware of what NAM is doing and just how much endowment, how much money, how much property, uh, how much power the Southern Baptist Convention wields. 
and you don't want to see it go to the wolves. And it's hard to accept when something that you cherish so badly is going to the wolves. I've made the comparison before to the Boy Scouts of America because that was something that I was involved with in my teenage years. That was something my my dad was heavily involved with in his growing up. It was a very formative experience. And it was very difficult to see the Boy Scouts going to the wolves. And they're they're gone at this point. I could not in good conscience recommend any child become part of now it's called scouting. It's not even Boy Scouts anymore. I don't know why Girl Scouts gets to still be Girl Scouts, but Boy Scouts had to drop the boy. It's just scouting and it's not an organization worth going to. You could go to Trail Life. You could go to, um, I guess, Royal Rangers. I don't even know. I think there's a number of alternatives out there and you can get the same kind of outdoors experience, man shaping experience that used to be known in Boy Scouts uh, in other places, but you can't really get it in Boy Scouts. At least it's hard to. So that, that was a hard thing. That's a hard pill to swallow. And things are changing at a rapid rate. We're seeing every institution just about in our lives change for the worse most of the time. We're not seeing a lot of, at least on the institutional level, positive mobility towards the right, the right ethics, the right thinking on things. Uh, most of institutional life is going towards the intersectional agenda. If you want to call it that, I don't even know what to call it anymore. It's just evil. Can we just say that as Christians? They're just going towards evil. They're calling evil good and good evil. So I just want to say, I think it's understandable to to weep over that. I I don't want to make a tight analogy or a tight comparison here, but um, but I, I think Jesus understands this too. I mean, the, the weeping over Jerusalem, I think, shows, and, and that's, I understand, a closer connection with more significance. So please don't take this farther than it needs to be. But I, I do think that at least we're, we have an illustration of Christ having a love for his people and having a, a sorrow that their leaders, in this case, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, were leading them into false doctrine, leading them astray. They were sheep without a shepherd. Uh, they didn't, they were leaderless. I feel the same way about the Southern Baptist Convention as far as the leaderlessness of it, that those who are in positions of authority are have more in common with the Pharisees than they do David's mighty men or the patriarchs or the prophets or the apostles. And this podcast is one of the places that you have heard me over the course of years prove this over and over and over. Not because I'm making complex arguments. I'm just showing you what is happening. I'm showing you what people are saying. And I'm going to do a little bit more of that today. But I don't think it was a coincidence that this morning when I woke up, uh, some of the first things sent to me were a reminder that, I, and I had forgotten about this, of where things stood in 2016. And I think it's helpful to take a look back. This is this is just one little metric you can use uh, if you are a um, Orthodox believer who understands the value of political conservatism, uh, also 
and I should probably more accurately say it's not the value of political conservatism so much as it is the threat from the political left, the social justice agenda. So you're someone who understands that. You understand that's a threat to orthodoxy. Those people, that's who I'm talking to. You'll understand the significance of what I'm about to share with you. Um, the tweet uh, in question is from Donald Trump. And this is what I want to focus on. And it is from, like I said, 2016. And all it says is this. Dr. Russell Moore is truly a terrible representative of evangelicals and all of the good they stand for. A nasty guy with no heart. Okay. This is Donald Trump, May 9th, 2016. 6.05 a.m. I don't know what he's doing up that early, but uh, he, 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 I remember he, he would always tweet late and then tweet early too. It's like, when did you sleep? But he does this. this is, that has to be one of his first thoughts. And, and I'm assuming he's probably reading, I don't remember what outlet it was at the time, but Russell Moore had written a whole article. I think it was in the Washington Post uh, criticizing Donald Trump and making the case that evangelicals should not vote for Donald Trump. And, and there's a lot to criticize, especially personally, especially in 2016, when it comes to Donald Trump. There's no question about that, and that's, that's not up for debate that there are things to criticize. The, the issue would be more what Russell Moore chooses to criticize. Russell Moore and other evangelicals who had platforms disliked Donald Trump for the wrong reasons. They disliked him not because in necessarily that he represented a shift in sexual ethics in his implicit endorsement of same-sex unions, for example. Their issue, the one that they made front and center, was the idea that he was a racist whatever that means, according to the left. They carried the left's water. And one of Russell Moore's big issues was immigration. And Donald Trump reacted to this. Now, many of you who have been paying attention for any length of time, you know, you, your, your memory is probably, you're, you're remembering what happened. You know. But I had forgotten about the response that many evangelical leaders had to this. And I think it's worth showing that uh, for just a moment. So here, if I can get myself out of the way, you can all see this, hopefully. Here are some of the reactions that were out there at the time. Chip Roy. Now, Chip Roy, as, as I'm trying to include people here who have platforms and are... Uh, evangelical from what I know. And I believe Chip Roy is. Now, I know he's a congressman from Texas, so he's not technically in an evangelical institution. But he said, uh, he, he uh, said, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. Now, there's nothing wrong with posting this verse. But think about what's happening here. Russell Moore is the poster boy for this now. Rus Russell Moore is obeying God rather than men. 
it's Chip Roy. So it's it's not the fact that they're critical of Trump. It's the fact that they are positive towards Russell Moore. Now, some of you might be thinking already, well, was Russell Moore as bad in 2016? And I'm going to get to that in a moment. I just want to show you what people were saying first. Owen Strand, uh, disgusting, untrue, and revealing, mildly ironic to boots about this particular tweet. So it was. So what was untrue about it? I guess Russell Moore has no heart is hyperbole or exaggeration. I think most people who have watched Russell Moore's trajectory, especially since then, uh, would probably agree with Donald Trump if they're concerned about the social justice movement, if they see the way that Russell Moore really doesn't seem to have a heart towards those. Uh, I just actually had an interview yesterday with someone who's a parent. Their child plays basketball for a Christian school. They will no longer be able to compete because the school says we are not going to compete against men with our women's sports teams. And this has become an issue. This is in the state of New Hampshire or uh, rather uh, Vermont. And Russell Moore, as the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, hasn't lifted a finger to oppose Drag Queen Story Hour, the normalization of transgenderism. Uh, he hasn't, what he's done on the pro-life issue, to be honest with you, is even worse. He has softened, soft-pedaled uh, a holistic pro-life view, so softening the traditional pro-life view and trying to expand it out into these all these other issues, making killing babies equivalent with you know, things like um, the, the border crisis and uh, illegal migration and uh, not accepting uh, these people in, in a way that would in an amnesty or something like that. I mean, this is what he's done. And and so you have Owen Strand here saying and, and I'm wondering, too, I just want to say this too. some of these people. I'm wondering if they if they could look back now and look at what they said in 2016, whether they have some regrets about it, right? And say, you know what? I wouldn't have said that now, or I disagree with what I previously said, and I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to publicly say Trump knew something I didn't or had instincts that I didn't. Um, part of what I'm leading up to is the need for leadership and leaders. Uh, one, one of the things that leaders tend to, they, they're not hundred percent right on everything, but when they are wrong, they, they will admit it. And uh, their instincts are generally, uh, well, we tend to platform people, at least traditionally we have, who tend to have good instincts, to have express good judgment in smaller things, right? That's the whole principle of faithful in smaller things, so faithful in much. So um, Tom Buck, uh, he tweeted at Robert uh, Jeffries and Jerry Falwell Jr., is this the religious freedom for Christians you are expecting from your candidate? He also retweeted this and said, why does every disagreement Trump has uh, must end in a personal attack. This is one evangelical who won't vote for him, which is fine if you didn't want to vote for Trump. But, but again, it's Russell Moore. Is what Trump said about Russell Moore, in general, his instinct on Russell Moore was it accurate? That's the question. I think anyone who's looked at this topic knows it. It was Denny Burke. Does America want a president who thinks his job includes defining who is and isn't a good evangelical? Hashtag Never Trump. Now, interestingly on this, uh, I, I didn't point this out before, but Donald Trump makes a separation between Russell Moore, who's truly terrible, <laughs> and evangelicals who are good in what they stand for. Donald Trump makes John, Donald Trump is endorsing evangelicals while saying Russell Moore does not represent them. That's what's happening. And Denny Burke 
uh, is taking this somehow as Donald Trump is defining who is and who isn't an evangelical. He didn't say Russell Moore uh, was not an evangelical. He said Russell Moore is a truly terrible representative of evangelicals. Is he right? I would think so. Uh, Daryl Harrison, uh, Donald Trump, you should ask forgiveness for referring to Dr. Moore in such derogatory terms. Oh, wait, you don't need forgiveness, do you? Kevin DeYoung reminds me of the time Saruman lectured Gandalf about what would be best for Middle Earth. <laughs> uh, Tom, uh, or sorry, uh, Denny Burke again. Yes, just what America needs, a secular autocrat trump splaining what an evangelical is. Four to eight years of this, no thanks. Now, that wasn't all. I have two more slides of this. And I started on purpose with those who would be more towards the conservative end of things, just to, to, to get everyone's attention, to let them know, look, and I, and I don't have any ill will towards any of these people, by the way. But what I, the point I'm trying to make is this was universal, this condemnation of this. Uh, Ryan Hutchinson, who's at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, further proof that the real Donald Trump is neither presidential or has a very good brain. Which to me is very funny, you know, because it's I think it's it's irony. He's trying to say, you know, Donald use Donald Trump's language against him. But uh, you see a little bit of this in some of the, the farther left voices where they bash Trump in ways that sometimes are even more harsh than the way Trump was bashing Russell Moore, at least equivalent. Willie Rice, who ran for SBC president or announced he was going to run and then dropped out. Wrong. Grateful for Dr. Moore, his exemplary leadership. Thomas Kidd at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Hey, how's that unity thing going, Donald? All right. Hashtag never Trump. Matt Smethurst. Happy birthday, Dr. Russell Moore. Thank you for being a great representative of evangelicals and one of the few on the right side of 2016. It's, it's funny that they, they I, I pointed this out before with the left. They often think that they're in the minority. They don't have the power. They're being oppressed. It's these big government or big business uh, tycoons on the right that are uh, in the majority somehow and, and have the power somehow. They, they they always present themselves as this embattled minority when, in fact, the opposite is true. They actually have the authority. They have the power. You, th this doesn't represent evangelicals in the pews, the, the reactions I'm giving you. But this is what evangelical leaders said in 2016. Kevin Ezell, North American Mission Board. You obviously don't know Dr. Moore very well. This tweet is unnecessary and not true. Bart Barber, current president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm extremely jealous of Dr. Moore this morning. Hashtag badge of honor. Justin Taylor, uh, Gospel Coalition. Actually, we prefer to be called the evangelicals. So he's just kind of mocking Donald Trump, the way Donald Trump speaks. By the way, if you live in New York, which I do right now, you will understand living here that for Trump, it's not a matter of education necessarily. It is the way that many people in the city talk. And uh, I'm not saying they should. I'm just in every I'm not saying you should teach your kids to talk the way Trump talks as far as his grammatical construction. But it would be equivalent to making fun of a Southerner because of his drawl, right? Or making fun of someone from Boston because of their nasal pitch or something. It, it's, uh, it, I don't think it's wrong to make fun of those things, to be honest. I think stereo, if you do it right, I think stereotypes can actually be 
somewhat endearing. Uh, but it, it for a class of people who pride themselves on their dignity and uh, would not, most of them, I would say, would look down at that kind of mocking. They don't have a problem mocking Trump, some of them. The Bidi Anabwile. You won't meet a man with a sharper mind, warmer heart, and consistent passion for what's right than Russell Moore. That's that's all the endorsement you need. The Bidi Anabwile voted for Hillary. Uh, or at least he said he'd rather vote for Hillary than Trump. Philip Bethencourt. We are glad to stand with Dr. Russell Moore at the ERLC. There is no one better. No one better. Sam Albury. I think it's time Dr. Russell Moore produced a long-form birth certificate for us. So, Sky Jathani from the Holy Post. Now, I'm even more excited to have Dr. Russell Moore on the podcast next week with Phil Vischer. Jonathan Merritt. This guy is detached from reality. Seriously. Alan Noble uh, mocking him with uh, saying that he's like uh, Groucho Marx trying to hit someone with, I guess that's a chair or a cane or something. So this is what you had from the evangelical elites or uh, evangelicals who were influential in 2016. Now, some of you might say, hold on a minute, John, hold on a minute. This was 2016. They didn't know at that time how bad Russell Moore was going to be. I mean, that stuff happened later, didn't it? And I remember 2016. I remember when Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary started to, to tank, it, at least when I was seeing it really start to tank in 2017. One of my thoughts was, man, I hope they don't go the direction of that Russell Moore guy. Because it was very known at the time. It was very known at the time what Russell Moore was up to. And I want to just give you a few voices who knew at the time. Uh, and this is in the, the same thread from 2016, Robert Barnes. Now, Robert Barnes, as far as I know, I, I believe he is Baptist. I'm not sure if he's Southern Baptist and he does not have a platform in evangelicalism, but he's a lawyer and he understands politics. And maybe that's one of the crucial things that made him realize what was actually going on here. But he says, uh, Dr. Russell Moore wants to import massive numbers of Muslims, claims next evangelical leaders may speak Arabic as loony as Sweden. So that was Robert Barnes. Pulpit and pen. So this would be J.D. Hall, who uh, is no longer blogging. He doesn't have he's in private life now. He doesn't have a public life. But at the time in 2016, J.D. Hall and I would guess others who wrote for pulpit and pen put out article after article after article. This is all before the tweet from Donald Trump. And this is only a fraction of the articles about Dr. Russell Moore. I just went to 2015, 2016. There were ones going back farther than that, but I just picked a few representative ones. Here's some headlines from Pulpit and Pen. Russell Moore advancing socialism starts with the church. Russell Moore's ERLC, change agents of the United Nations. Russell Moore ignores petition, defends abortive mothers. Russell Moore is senior editor for Catholic Protestant Ecumenical Magazine. Russell Moore partnering with New Apostolic Reformation to advance the social gospel. Uh, Douglas Wilson's glorious response to Russell Moore's racial grandstanding. So there's another name for you. Doug, Doug Wilson was on to Russell Moore. Uh, Russell Moore calls border fence golden calf, scolds evangelicals. Russell Moore called open border zealot Soros connections examined. Russell Moore and a shift in posture toward gaze. This, this is all pulpit and pen talking about publicly available, available information before Donald Trump ever tweeted about Russell Moore. 
they're not just pulling this stuff. They're not making it up. They're not pulling this out of thin air. This is publicly available information. So not everyone was naive to this. Not everyone was naive to this. There were those who saw it. Some of those people now have platforms and they did not in 2016. And because they were able to see this, because they had some shrewdness, they had some political savvy, I guess. They had some discernment when it came to Russell Moore. That's what's propelled them into having a little bit of a platform here or there. I might be one of those people. Uh, I think I was in a, um, I was discussing with some friends. I was going to say colleagues, but they're, they're friends, I guess. Uh, who are interested about this thing, right? Uh, about social justice making its way into the church and the, the threat from the political left. And a number of them said the same thing when uh, this was sent uh, to an, a bunch of us that, you know, in 2016, it wasn't a mystery. Some, some of them said, I don't really like Donald Trump, but we knew that he was right about Russell Moore. Russell Moore was not a, a good um, a representative of evangelicals. And he was nasty and he is still is he's he's it's not that he's nasty in the way Trump can be nasty, where he just you know says these outrageous things. It's he's actually nasty in a more subversive way. He's nasty towards those who he claims to represent by going to places like The New York Times and The Washington Post to bash them. The people, very people who have paid his salary. That's kind of nasty. So um, Alan Atchison. He's, he's one of the guys, he saw this, uh, Capstone Report. Um, I know that uh, many of the the younger uh, guys that are up and coming, like uh, Josh Abitoy, Nate Fisher, I mean, they saw this kind of stuff. Uh, the, the list probably goes on, but of the publicly available voices in 2016, those who were in, in evangelical institutions of some kind, who had a platform to speak, it's crickets. You don't really have any pushback against this. It's it is people like Robert Jeffries and 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 Jer I wouldn't even consider Jerry Falwell Jr. an evangelical. That's a whole other story I don't want to get into. But uh, I don't even think he claimed to be a Christian at that time. But he was running Liberty University, so he was he was just included in that. Other than them, and you know, they were somewhat critical of Russell Moore. But who else? Who else saw this? Um, does that bother you? It should bother you. It should bother you. Yes, Michael O'Fallon did know. Someone just put that in. Yes, uh, there were. But again, I'm I'm talking about people here who had more of a platform in 2016 to say anything about this. Uh, there were there, there's a number of people since then, um, even people who aren't necessarily on the right, or at least they're not they're not conservatives or paleo conservatives. They're they're on the neoconservative train more, or they're more moderate. They can even see that Russell Moore was a change agent. It's not a mystery now. Um, so where do we go from here? Uh, I've just described for you a problem. What's the solution? <clears throat> I want to get to that at the end of the podcast. Because I, there's one more thing that I want to discuss with you. And that is this issue of women pastors. I don't think that these things are unrelated. Failures in leadership, failures in seeing the threats before us and judgment and warning people about those threats, et cetera. I think in that vacuum, that's when you have the 
conditions that make for an increased level of women in positions of leadership in Christian organizations. Um, so what I'm trying to say is the failure of men who are supposed to be in these positions, according to scripture of pastoral role, are when, when they fail in those roles, women tend to fill in the gap or tend to uh, tend to be elevated, or at least people tend to see, well, there's not really much of a difference between the male pastor I have and a female pastor. And, and because I think male pastors have been trained for so many years to be effeminate, and I can say that as someone who's been at three seminaries, that uh, that is 100% true. <laughs> that I, it, it's despite seminary training that uh, I would say that I, I didn't go this route. The seminary training at all three institutions I was at uh, more or less had a very maternal, bed, good bedside manner, uh, very therapeutic approach to being a pastor. You're allowed to be prophetic, and I learned this at Southeastern when it comes to activism. So you're either an activist or a therapist, basically. That's that's what a lot of the seminaries, or an academic, who that's pretty much who they crank out. It's, it's actually more rare to have seminaries that crank out people who are really the the right the, the the strong godly man the manly man uh Vody, I, I wish i had the clip queued, queued up Vody bacham made a great point about this uh, in a clip that i saw the other day maybe i'll play it in an episode next week or something where he said uh, thou shalt not be manly is basically like the 11th commandment um so anyway anyway i want to show you this particular article uh this is a, it's not even an article, I guess. It's a statement, an open letter to Baptist women, an open letter to Baptist women. Dear sisters, for centuries, people have told women they are not as valuable to God's work in the world as men. Even today, men are taking actions against women who are ministering, leading, and pastoring to spread the love and grace of Jesus Christ. They are wrong. You are created in the image of God. As if anyone disagrees with that, right? God's likeness lives in you. God invites you to participate in God's purposes as much as men. Now, there's really nothing substantive to disagree with here for any of the men who are preventing women from being in leadership roles. Uh, it, it's about the leadership roles that God has specifically designated for men. That's what this is about. After the first woman and man ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, God gave consequences for sin to the serpent, the woman, and the man. It was not God's intent. I, I don't know if I want to read this whole thing. It goes on and on. Uh, the perpetuation of male authoritarianism has led to far too much abuse, pain, hurt, and sorrow for women. We invite you to find freedom from this pain in Jesus Christ and to reclaim God's design for men and women, both being created in the image of and limit uh, of the limitless God. And the whole, it, it also says, Jesus did not make a mistake by calling women present at the resurrection to preach the gospel. And he has not made a mistake in calling women to pastor, minister, and lead today. So this is a supporting letter, a supporting statement on women pastors. And I was curious. There's 351 signers. I did not go through all of them. I probably I spent a little bit of time going through, man, I don't know, maybe 12 of these churches, uh, 13, I don't know, some something like that. And... I want to share with you a little bit of what I found, and this is just scratching the surface, but it's concerning to me. 
So th this, just to be clear with everyone, this would this would contradict directly the Baptist faith and message 2000. Any uh, literal understanding of that document, this would contradict. So for a Southern Baptist to sign this, to agree with it, someone who's representative of a Southern Baptist church or the Southern Baptist convention, etc., that would be a problem, would it not? And yet, we have that happening. Let me show you just a few, if I can here, of the, looks like my camera went out. I'll just show you uh, the screen itself here. Um, it's still loading. Uh, I'm going to start talking about it while it's loading. But Sarah Mears, associate pastor of Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, her, Reverend uh, Kristen Muse from Hayes Barton Baptist Church in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. Sarah Mears, uh, there's actually a number of uh, people on the staff of this church who signed this. Uh, our members, their church is a member church of the Southern Baptist Convention. There we go. Now everyone can see it. There's Reverend Kristen Muse. I put Sarah Mears in the title here. There was, um, as I was composing this, I, I tried to take one representative from each church. So I think I started out with, I'm going to put Sarah Mears here. And then I was like, oh, there's all these other people who signed it. But anyway, um, Hayes Barton Baptist Church has women pastors that are signing this document. Uh, Reverend Karen uh, Eichhoff, pastor of Trinity Baptist in Raleigh, North Carolina. You can tell I went to Raleigh to see <laughs> what was going on down there. Um, this uh, is a female pastor who is at a church in cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, according to their website, the SBC website, uh, Trinity uh, Baptist Church. Uh, here's someone who's not a female. This is a male uh, staff member, Greg Anderson, who is the pastor at Belmont Baptist Church. And this is in Charlottesville, Virginia. And he signed it. He said, I agree, women should be pastors. This is Belmont Baptist Church, a member church of the Southern Baptist Convention. Here's Reverend Mary Alice Bird Whistle, pastor of Highland Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. So another church that is in cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. And I realized that I not all of you were seeing that. Sorry about that. So I'm going to just go through it briefly now so you can see the what I'm looking at, see these primary sources here. There's Reverend Karen um, Eikhoff. There's Greg Anderson. And then there's Reverend Mary Alice Birdwhistle. Now, all of these individuals are representatives of the Southern Baptist Convention in some way, shape, or Yeah, I don't know what's going on with my camera. I, I this has never happened during a live stream for some reason. Let me see if I can. Uh, let me see if I can just fix it real quick.
Well, I am not sure exactly what's going on with the camera. Hopefully, can everyone still hear me? Some, someone just let me know in the chat if they can still hear me. And uh, that will definitely help me know whether I should continue this or not. So I'm just going to pretend people are hearing me and hopefully someone uh, gets back to me. So I'm going to probably land the plane quicker than I would have normally. Oh, I'm getting word that they can still hear me. Good. Uh, I, I'll also point this out. Someone just put this comment here. And I want to get to it since uh, I, I've never seen this before. I didn't even know you could do this. So, well, thank you. <laughs> Doug Beeks contributed 10 bucks to the podcast using YouTube. I don't exactly know how he did that. You said that Jerry Falwell Jr. didn't claim to be a Christian in 2016, but was president of Liberty University. Is that not an institutional problem? Yes, it's a big institutional problem. <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to get into all the details of this. Uh, I, I didn't say, well, did I say that? Maybe I did say that. Uh, he didn't. You'll see Jerry Falwell Jr. going out there and not saying much. Like if someone calls him a pastor, he's very opposed to that. He'll say, "I'm not a pastor." Uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. didn't talk about being a Christian. He didn't give his testimony. He didn't preach. He never talked about it during the entire time I can remember at Liberty University that that I was aware of what was going on there. And uh, and then of course when everything was uncovered, he basically said, "Yeah, I'm not a." I never was. And it, it was obvious. I have to say it was obvious to many of the people who worked at Liberty University. Uh, this is one of the reasons I don't buy some of this. Like, I know Karen Swallow Pryor ha had her. She butted heads with Jerry Falwell Jr. But she she had to have known. That's my I'm not accusing her of like, I, I, I'm not saying that I know for a fact that Karen Swallow Pryor knew the extent to which Jerry Falwell was involved in illicit activity. But I know now that a lot of profs there did a lot of the people on staff at Liberty university did. And, uh, so yes, it is an institutional problem, but it's not unique to Liberty university. So anyway, uh, because my camera is for some reason, uh, defective, I'm going to just make the final point here that I want to make. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll land the plane. There's another podcast tonight, by the way, for those who are uh, interested, I'm going to put out a few this weekend. Um, the SBC right now has a problem with leadership. It is mostly leaderless. And this is a problem I was discussing with a number of people who care about that kind of thing this morning. It's not something that I'm wishing upon the SBC. It's just an observation. Nothing personal about it. When I look in scripture and I look for verses that tell us about leadership, how leadership should behave. What, sh what does a leader look like? Obviously, we have the qualifications for elders and deacons, but there's some broad principles. I just I, I mentioned one earlier, uh, being faithful in little, right, is a principle. So then you'll be faithful in much. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says to do nothing for selfish ambition. Do nothing for selfish ambition. One of the hallmarks of a leader is someone who is willing to sacrifice for their own. Uh, think of military leaders. Think of those who lead their soldiers into battle. What endears them to the heart of their soldiers is the fact that they're willing to accept the same risks. And they're trying to minimize the amount of death. They're trying to achieve victory. And they're doing it for the whole army and the nation that army represents. They're not doing it just for themselves. And of course, there's glory seekers out there. There's no doubt about it. Soldiers can usually tell, though, if someone is just seeking glory for themselves versus seeking the, the well-being and the glory of the entire army and the nation. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Consider 
others is more important than yourselves. Matthew chapter 20 is a passage that you'll hear Tim Keller and others often use to talk about how Christians should not be seeking political power. Those who wish to be first uh, should be last. They should be your servant. This is where we get the idea of servant leadership. And I want to flip that on its head for a moment. Not the passage, but the understanding that Tim Keller and others bring to it. I just want to say this about it. If you are going to be the servant of someone else, and if you're serving the body of Christ, the Southern Baptist Convention, your church, whatever, Christian institution, then what ought you to be doing? Ought you to be grandstanding from the Washington Post and the New York Times to condemn the people who pay your bills? Ought you to be shying away from actual political fights that will cost you, that are ravaging the people you claim to be representing? Or ought you to go into the firing line with them? Wouldn't that be what a leader does? Calls out the wolves. I mean, the whole idea of a shepherd in a church is someone who not only cares for the sheep, but part of caring for the sheep is taking out the wolves, giving one's life, willing to lay it down for the sheep. It's called bravery. It's called courage. Something that used to mark leadership. And I'm afraid in this day and age of managerial elites, there is far much less of that. In fact, you get to the top of institutions generally by not being brave, by not calling things out. Uh, you get there by trying to cater to those who are above you, riding the coattails. Um, I've seen it. I've seen this happen on the student level. I've seen this happen uh, on the institutional level that people who seek leadership or platforming in those arenas have a tendency to butter up the people that have the power to give them those positions. That is a fundamentally different skill, not even a skill set. It's a fundamentally different temperament than what biblically makes a leader a leader. Biblically, a leader is not someone who butters up. They should encourage, but they should spur you on to righteousness. They should admonish uh, when it's necessary. Um, we don't have manly leaders. And this goes, I, I would say this is pretty universal. This is in the political world as well. I would say Republicans and Democrats, there's few. You can count them on like one hand. Those on the national level who have some fortitude. Yeah, Southern Baptist Convention is not all that different. And what I would say to those who still want to hang on to the Southern Baptist Convention, this is what this is my challenge, and this is what I will close the podcast with is identify the leaders. Who are the leaders? And I'm talking about leaders who are very willing to call out the wolves, to say that's a false teacher to say, we shouldn't be funding that, to say, let's defund the seminary if they teach, if they allow this teaching, to say things that are considered not nice in the Southern Baptist circles, to call out the other Pharisees for the, the, the Pharisees for what they're doing, uh, to risk hurting relationships, to risk hurting careers, 
uh, their their own career, to risk not getting invited to the parties, to risk getting accused online of being a racist, a misogynist, or transphobic. I'm talking about that. Identify the people who are more than willing to do that. I'm not even just talking about political fights. Political fights happen all the time. I'm talking, and most of them are personality fights at this point. Uh, they are unbecoming of men. I'm talking about principled fights for the truth, for righteousness, and those who would stand in the way of that, calling them out. That's what I'm talking about. Identify those people. Where are they? Who are they? If they're not around, then I would say that spells doom for the convention. I don't know who Conservative Baptist Network uh, is planning on running, if they're planning on running someone. I, I have no knowledge of that. Uh, it is getting kind of, it's April now, so uh, it is getting to that point where you probably want to announce uh, who, who's running for the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, of course, even if you got the presidency, if it was someone who was wanted to return the convention to orthodoxy, that would be a, a way uphill battle. It's the problem Trump had when he became president. So you're president now. Who fills all the positions in the cabinet? Well, there aren't enough people to fill those positions who have the same mindset as the president. That's the problem you're going to have. You'd have to, I don't even know how you'd do it at somewhere like Southeastern. You'd, what, you like hire, fire half the faculty. I don't know how you, how you navigate this kind of thing. Exactly. I don't have all the answers. That's not why I do this podcast. Not because I have all the answers. Hopefully, though, I challenge you to think and, and to think clearly and to think rationally. And I think this is something that each man in and it's not just in the Southern Baptist Convention. You can apply it to whatever organization you're part of. Each person needs to take inventory of their time, which is limited. Life is a breath and their finances uh, and all the responsibilities that they have to God. And then ask the question, is this worth it? Is this a fight that we can win? And if so, who are we, will we follow into battle? Or is it me, Lord? Is it me? So that's my challenge at the end of this. Um, my encouragement is that I do think that there that the Lord never leaves himself without a witness. There are always those who have not bowed the knee to Baal. There are always those who have courage out there, even if it's very few. And when times get really tough, especially economically, uh, those people tend to rise to the top as far in, in respect, not in economics, in respect. Uh, if they're willing to put some skin in the game to suffer for righteousness, to be called names, to even go to prison if necessary, that person, generally speaking, I think, gets success. How many of the Marxists out there wrote their manifestos, wrote, you know, I'm thinking of Gramsci in the prison notebooks, Nelson Mandela when he was in jail. I mean, how many of these guys, when they're Marxists, when they go to jail for their dissident activity, they end up coming out rock stars. They, they end up, by the end of their lives, they're, they, because they sacrificed. They showed skin in the game. And I'm not saying you go be like them. Don't, don't do what Nelson Mandela did. Don't engage in terrorism. Uh, I'm saying that they were willing to suffer, and that proved that they were more, their vision meant more to them of what they wanted to accomplish than their very life. And this is taken wrong, I think, by Marxists, but the Marx, Marxists tend to think that it's for the betterment of man. It's, it's for the common good to implement socialism. So those who suffered for doing so are to be commended. 
we need to have the same spirit. In fact, we need to have a spirit that goes 10 times past that. And I admit it's hard to be brave sometimes when you're being called all kinds of names and your, your character, it feels like it's being destroyed. I mean, all the other elites out there, they, they don't like you. They, they can do things to you. They can take your job. They can do all kinds of things. Uh, man, I don't know. And I would say be the wisest serpent, innocent as doves, but that doesn't mean you don't back down. So there are people out there that fit this. Um, I, I interviewed William Wolf earlier this week. That's one of the reasons I did. I want to show you guys, hey, here's someone who's young in the Southern Baptist Convention, wants to push the needle in the right direction. Uh, he should, he, he deserves support and encouragement. And uh, I don't know where things are going to take him, but that's the kind of person that maybe even needs to run for president of the Southern Baptist Convention sometime. And you might think, oh, he's so young. Well, do not look down on on uh, what Paul instruct to Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on your youth. Uh, when we're in a situation where we don't have leadership uh, that's effective, then someone who's going to say it, who's, who's going to be effective, even if they're young, it might be a better fit. So this is not an endorsement of William Wolfe running for the Southern Baptist presidency this year. It's just uh, an encouragement to show you there are people out there. And we need to pray that the Lord raises up more of them. And it may be leading a secession from the convention itself. Well, uh, since my camera is gone and all I have is audio, I'm going to land the plane now. I appreciate everyone's uh, support for uh, this podcast. Uh, like I said at the beginning, uh, go out and rate it on iTunes, on YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I greatly appreciate it. God bless. More coming by now. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.